America, live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I am Sebi Salazar, and indeed, the Americas are still alive. We have one finalist set here at the 2022 World Cup. It is Argentina through to the semi to the finals uh, after an impressive semifinal finals. victory over Croatia. What you wearing over there, dog? Uh, don't come on with what you're wearing, dog. I'm not looking like... You don't know where I'm from, dog, <laughs> to quote the, uh, the great you Clint know, Dempsey. I got, I got a little okay. Fonzie. You got a lot of love for Canada uh, on, on football. I America lived there. Late. I lived in Canada. You did. You did yes. live there. Yeah, and Toronto I'm, was I'm, beautiful. What do you think of my shirt? It's very Point Dexter FC. Oh, you know, that's what happens when you get invited on Sports Center. You got to dress up. You got to elevate your level. You wouldn't know anything about that. Though. Listen, Don't you guys, worry about it. I've done Sports Center. Oh, steady, steady. <laughs> um, all right, we got a lot coming up in this show. Uh, our, our good friend Julian Laurent is going to join us to preview France uh, against Morocco. You'll be surprised. Borussia Dortmund has picked a side in the Greg Berhalter versus Gio Reyna debate. Ooh. Okay, we'll check in on that. Okay. Uh, plus, we didn't get to this in yesterday's show, but some interesting comments from Liga MX president Miguel Arriola as far as uh, exportation of players uh, is concerned. But let's indeed start with a game that just wrapped up. Argentina, 3 nothing winners over Croatia in the first of the two semifinals. Herc, your thoughts? This is one of those games... Leading into the game, mm -hmm. I should say. One of those situations where you kept asking yourself, how much further can Croatia go? Right. How much further can you go on E? You know, when you're in the car and you're running out of gas, yes. you're like, ah, I think I got a little more in that me. That was most of my 20s. That was most of your 20s. <laughs> yes. How much further can they go? This is a team that leading up to this game, I believe in eight of the last uh, elimination games, knockout games mm -hmm. in World Cup play, have gone into overtime in seven. Yeah. So Throw the Euros in there as well. Yeah. Euros in there were accustomed to grinding results out. But how much did they have in that tank? Yeah. I think that was answered very, fairly quickly. Um, you saw a team that was a little out of sorts. Mm -hmm. uh, dominado dominated in the midfield, which you normally didn't see that versus this Croatian side. Argentina took advantage of that. I saw one of two scenarios in my head. Mm -hmm. I saw a Juego trabado, very tense. Yeah. 0 0 1 That's what one I game. expected too. Are you surprised the way it went down? Or this. Like Argentina scoring first and Croatia just, just being overwhelmed. Not, not even just an Argentina scoring first, just Croatia being overwhelmed because physically they didn't have anything right. else in the tank. Um, you look at kind of the lineups, right? And I think that's that kind of plays into what you're saying. I don't know if it's just straight up fitness. Maybe it's also depth of players. Yeah. And, and depth of different tactics from Scaloni, the manager. I'm glad you brought that up. So yeah. Croatia. Doesn't make any changes, no. again, from a team that just went 120. Uh, Argentina just went 120 as well. Right, we but they, that out. they changed. They, and they were able to make two changes here. I mean, one is forced. Tagliafico comes in for Acuna. That's a That's yellow a like card. That's a like-for-like. Um, but you're able to bring Paredes back in because you're not, not playing a back three anymore. There you go. And so I think those two changes, especially Paredes, um, into the midfield, you talk about winning that physical midfield battle. That, that's got to be a big part of it. And He was, he was fresher um, than anybody else on that pitch. Let, let me, figure. for a brief instance do a little crossover here u.s okay. men's national team argentina okay i've always said that greg berhalter is green yes right greg berhalter at least coaching -wise, everything about greg berhalter bro no hold on greg berhalter coaching wise has a lot more experience than scaloni would you say that if you're you're counting club experience yes, yes for sure course. for sure scaloni was a u20 coach yeah. took this team over we saw with scaloni a plan b yeah sometimes even a plan c Last game against the Netherlands, against a very experienced, very, very tactically brilliant coach in Van Gaal, 
He changed it up. I'm going to mirror this. It's going to be three center backs. And it's uh, Lisandro Martinez who comes in. Today we saw a 4-4-2. And in that midfield, you had the likes of DePaul. You had the likes of Paredes, Enzo Fernandez, and McAllister. And at times, very good central midfielders. But it was the idea of sitting, controlling the midfield, overwhelming what was uh, Kovacic, uh, Brozovic, and Modric. And they did that physically with the ball, made them work. And then they had a few special playmakers up front, uh, Leonel Messi being one of them, who, yeah. who just continues to shine. And Julian Alvarez, who has quietly snuck into this group yeah. and found himself not only as a starter, but as a prime contributor. Four goals already in what is this World Cup for a guy who didn't even come in, being one of the first, maybe not even second option, if you think about it. Yeah, we're going to talk about Messi a lot, but let's keep the focus then on Julian Alvarez. Because if you look at each of the goals, he draws the penalty right on on Messi's penalty strike he scores the second after an amazing 50 yard run maybe a little bit of luck mixed in there sure. and then he's the guy in the but right spot after the Messi magic to finish off the third can we go to that little bit of luck really quickly yeah. you create that okay sure. so the way you drive with the ball the, the purpose behind it the velocity you force the defense to make mistakes mm -hmm. he's that type of player cuz it looks very easy like you'd say well yeah. He drew a penalty, but that was bad defending, right? Yeah. That, that, the parting of the sea between the two center backs, yeah. the goalkeeper comes out, is clumsy. You, you force gotta make that. that run. You gotta make yeah. that. You gotta force those moments. Uh, speaking of runs, I was really taken aback, and, and maybe this is fitness, or maybe this is kind of that street smart, you know, that, that Morena referenced the other day about this Argentina team. On the Julian Alvarez goal, the second goal, which for me is. is kind of the inflection point in the game. After that, you really think, especially given what we've seen from Croatia, it's, it's going to be tough for them to right. come back. Nahuel Molina, the right back, yeah. makes a 60-yard run. And I know he doesn't touch the ball, but for me, he makes that goal. Yes. And, and that's, that's, that's a play that a guy has to see. Your right back not supposed to make that run. It, remind me really quickly who came off in the second half, halftime? It was a Croatian left back, Sosa. Sosa, yeah, he had a shot. He, yeah. he was being abused. Yeah. Uh, and he's had a rough tournament to and be he's fair. Had a rough kind of a yeah, fine. But he, they took advantage of that. Yeah. And that's one of those things you're talking about. Yeah, no, so uh, Julian Alvarez. The other thing that surprised me is just how, like, if you looked at the stats, especially in the first half, it painted a very clear picture of just how unimportant possession is. Croatia had 62% possession. Say it Argent again. Say it again. How unimportant possession is, right? Uh, Croatia has 62% possession. They have zero shots on goal. Argentina had 38% possession and had four shots on goal and two of them in the back of the net. That's clinical, and at this point in the tournament, that's what gets you through. Football is changing. The sport has evolved. Mm -hmm. The teams who are doing well aren't the teams that have the majority of possession. They're the teams that are more vertical and have purpose in the way they attack. France has really changed this. It was really 2018 when teams started changing the way they played, and I really think it's that French team that changed the way. Now you're starting to see, and I've always said it's a young man's game, that if you can be physically stronger, you still have to have those special players, still have to have that good ball control, but more purpose in the way you attack, you will be successful in this tournament, and they've shown it. All right, so let's get to our game-changing moment because I feel like there was quite a few plays in this game where we saw not just mistakes but like bad mistakes from Croatia which is so out of character not just in this tournament but if we go back to the last World Cup and and even if you go back to the Euros um, where I know that they don't they don't make the deep run that they've made in the 
this World Cup or the last World Cup. Uh, in the group phase, they just didn't make a lot of mistakes. Right. That, that's what a good veteran team, that's how you should play. Yeah. Today they made some mistakes, and you've picked the game-changing moment as the first goal. I know you give Julian Alvarez credit, but that's real bad at the back from Croatia, right? Lovren especially. So but it's on Lovren, it's not on Guardiol? It's on both. I mean, okay. it, it's, it's very... Lovren's the one who keeps Alvarez on yes, side. It's difficult because that partnership, you rely on each other. Right. So, so when there's a parting yeah. of that, it, it's, it, there's one breakdown which leads to a second. Right. Um, and then it, it's a me, penalty kick. Yeah. So you, you have to acknowledge there's also a penalty kick. There's right. an error right there by the goalkeeper. What are you going to do? You're well, is it an error on Dimakovic? I mean, what's he going to do there? He, he's probably just stand your ground. Like force him to make it something. E yeah. either, either way, it's fine. It, it's very difficult. I'm just saying if you could say, hey, what would you change about that? He maybe yeah. said, would have said, I just stay big and, yeah. and maybe not. From the uh, Lovren perspective, and this is a veteran, veteran player who's played, you know, at the highest level in some of the biggest games. To me, it's that cardinal sin of, the guy makes the run inside you, right? If the guy's outside you, you, you still are, are ball well, side just, of him, as they say. He was not ball side in that, in that moment. So when you talk about these mistakes, I attribute a lot of these mistakes to being tired, to be, being physically right. like it's not there, your body's not reacting. Robert's not a young guy, right? You're not a young guy. But this, was a, this wasn't one of those like I couldn't react. It was I didn't see it. It was minute 34, too, and or I minute 30, it. I think, when the, when the you know, penalty if actually occurred. If it's... They always say um, when you're playing and growing up, like if it's something technical, mm -hmm. don't really correct them that way. Don't really m make them notice that he's gonna he's gonna practice. That he's gonna get better. When it's tactical, you make them see it. Mm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. That's when they should be aware. Hey, right there. That's the air. Technical, you can work on that. Tactical, you have to get that right. The game-changing moment is not just the run from Julian Alvarez and eventually the penalty. It's the conversion of the penalty from Messi. There was no doubt about that one. There's been some doubts on other penalties at this World Cup for Messi, but not this one. I mean, that was not upper 90, but it was in the roof of the net. No goalie saving that, right? It was very confident. Yeah. It's a very yeah. confident, well-taken yeah. penalty. He strikes it with a lot of purpose. You saw him strike the penalty against the Netherlands. And I don't necessarily think he hit it too hard. He hit it hard against Poland, and he missed. Yeah. Right? That was a great save, I feel like, from Chesney, It right? was also mid-height. If he's going to make that save, it's going to be that height. Okay. He put this one where you couldn't even touch it. Right, right. He, he, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. He hit it with some real pace and purpose. Uh, look, we're going to talk about Messi right now, but yeah. the difference in, in between knowing you've missed a penalty yeah, and it being in the back of your head yeah. and saying, this is my moment. Like, you can miss a penalty kick and that affects you. He let that go versus the Netherlands. Now he's on a different type of mode. He, he's on a different mission, if you will. Yeah, or even if you make a penalty in the case of like Harry Kane and you got to do another one whatever's happened in the past can certainly affect you when you're Absolutely. at the spot under pressure um, and to see him rip it in the back of the net let's talk about his performance on the whole maybe not just in this game but as we look at this World Cup like what do you make of what you're seeing from him is this the best Messi we've seen with Argentina it may not be the best model of him overall maybe it, it was younger he was more productive 2014 Messi was still better oh man that was Okay, then how difficult. would, how would but, you compare them then? But Because they seem different. There's a different Messi here. Okay, what's the difference? The attitude. Just that. Not, there's yeah. not a difference in function for you? Oh, I see absolutely as, a I, difference in function. Especially, yeah. there's a difference in his movements. There's a difference in, in the amount he runs. There's a different difference in where he gets the ball, is where he, he more, picks his spots. Is he more setup guy now than, than final touch guy for you? It felt that way today. Maybe that's just today because Julian well, Alvarez well, is Well, yes, the guy. because if you look at the goals of Julian Alvarez, those are final touches. If you look at Messi, uh, it was it three penalty kicks? Yeah. 
Yeah, so Pessy, as the uh, that's those as are your the, words. As the YouTube comments are, will surely say. I was gonna say uh, social done. media. Yes, those yeah. are your words. But you have to acknowledge just how dominant he is. Not only in the final third, dragging defenders out, how intelligent he can be, getting by defenders on the dribble, on the one-two, his movement without the ball that opens things up for Julian Alvarez, that opens things up for certain players on that field, and then just. How much the opponent respects him. Yes. Like, you, you try not to get too close because he's going to do to you what he did to the Croatian defense in that second Julian Alvarez goal. Yeah. It's a video game. Yeah. It literally is a video game. And can we talk about who he does it to? Because Vardiol has been, for many, the young defensive revelation right. of the tournament, right? Yeah. He spins him like a top. Oh, I mean, it, it goes to show you that And even, look where he spins him. Right. No angle spins him. You're not supposed to have that. Don't they always say, like, the end line, the sideline is your friend is That's a defender? That's your friend. That's your defender. Yeah. That's an extra defender right there that doesn't exist with Messi. He literally had zero angle, zero space, still spun him, presence of mind to find Julian Alvarez for a tap-in. It's a good goal, but it's still a tap-in for Julian Alvarez. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because even as Messi gets older and the game changes for him, he still has that ability to just change speed and almost walk past guys. Like, well, he is, it's not it's not just raw speed anymore. Not that it ever was with him, but there was a time no, when he could they, blow past you. But that's the thing with Messi. It wasn't that he was faster than everybody physically. Right. It's that with the ball, he was faster. Than that's what everybody. you always say. He was faster with the ball than without it. Well. And mentally faster. Mm. Because it's not just like one-trick pony. Messi really is a complete player. The way he sees the game is unlike anybody else that we've seen. This is a playmaker, a facilitator, mm. but also a killer. Mm -hmm. Inside the final third, he's the guy that realizes, I don't need to be the final touch. I don't need to be the goal for us to be successful. Right. And he's proving it. Uh, Producer Beto with a good shout. says, Magic Johnson version of Messi. So I, Showtime. I like, uh, I, I like that comparison. Speaking of... Uh, of not showtime, but showdowns. This was very much pitched as kind of Messi versus Modric. Um, it's obviously not the way Modric wants to go out at 37 years old. We assume it's his last World Cup. But to, to kind of give you an idea of just how long these two have been at the very top, let's go back 16 years, March 1st, 2006. This was Luka Modric's international debut and Lionel Messi's first international goal. Now, when they met at the last World Cup, we should remind folks, Croatia won... 3-0, uh, the opposite scoreline here, but maybe a good moment to give Modric his, his flowers after what seems to have been um, kind of the, the final, well, there's still the third place game, but kind of the, the final stage of his international career. A generational talent. When you talk about how good Luka Modric has been throughout his career, take a look at the Ballon d'Or mm -hmm. and how they've been competed against over the last 15 years. Yep. They've been dominated by two players, yep. Cristiano and Messi. He's the guy to break that. He's the guy to break that. He is the one. He is the man. A generational talent. One of the best passers, midfield players that we've seen in the modern era. Luka Modric today, one of the reasons Croatia wasn't effective was how they limited Luka Modric. How they overwhelmed him. And when he had to play, when he had the ball, it was pretty much lateral. There were no penetrating um, balls in favor of the Croatian uh, attack because usually it's Luka Modric breaking those lines. Usually it's Luka Modric pulling those strings. They forced other players to try to do that. And when you can limit a player like Luka Modric, you're going to have a good chance of being successful. So Modric is one of these guys that I think is really difficult to, to quantify, like what he does. Because maybe you'll correct me. I mean, where's the number 10? But I've never thought of him as like a pure out-and-out 
10 no, central he's a box box. attacking midfielder. Is that what you see him as an eight? But he's such a he's like such a creative eight. And I think usually when we think of eights and you say box to box, you think of a guy with uh, six lungs, you know, as they say in Spanish. He's really a technical eight box to box guy. And I think that's so rare. Like that's not usually the, the thing you focus on uh, at that position, which is maybe to, goes to show just why he stood out for so long. 37 years old, and we said it versus Brazil, he was one of the freshest guys on the field. Yeah. I mean, physically, he looked just as fresh, just as good as anybody on that field. But technically, he was head and shoulders above the right. majority. If you think about his technical ability, if you think about his vision, if you think about his willingness just to do things for the team, like yeah. he's a competitor, he's a winner. This box-to-box may be unfair uh, that we put him in because he really is unlike most right. players. If you think of like an Iniesta, what he can do on the yeah. ball He's going a forward. He's 10-8, man. He's, right. Yeah. Iniesta was good, but he didn't give you defensively what a Luka Modric can give okay, you. Okay, so maybe he's even a 10-8 with like shades of six? I mean, there's, I mean, he there's does. definitely shades. I don't know, shades of six, but box to box, absolutely. He puts right. in that effort. Um, I, I always like think about stats and like, again, to say it's difficult to quantify, is there a more important stat for a central midfield player than wins? No. And if so, for, for I mean, he's player. in the conversation for greatest midfielders of all time then, right? If we look at international, what he's done with a, I mean, a, with a Croatia team that, you know, you got to go back to 98 to find them having similar success. And then what he did at Real Madrid and is doing at Real Madrid. Listen, I, I know this is a huge debate, um, whether it's... Uh, what trio has done more in the midfield? Uh, I love the, what you're going to do if here. the Barcelona trio. <laughs> or, or we don't the, cause enough controversy Or the Real Madrid show. trio. Uh, but he's been that good at the club yeah. level. Yeah. And if you've seen, I mean, you've obviously seen it. But if you see what this Croatian team was able to do, I mean, it's, it's a World Cup final. It's going to be a third place game here. For a Croatian team, that didn't necessarily play how you would expect a Luka Modric team to play, just kind of grind you out. It speaks volumes of who Luka Modric Modric is and the competitor he is. Um, Producer Beto, who is is in no way, I want to assure folks, a Barcelona fan, says no one will remember how those Real Madrid teams played. Only the wins. (laughs) Okay. How many were they, Producer yeah, Beto? Steady, no, steady. I'm just, I'm just curious. All right, we, we, we fight enough in our production meetings. Uh, no, let's no, because <laughs> he's, you know, Barcelona. I know, I know that it's sacred ground when we talk about Iniesta and Xavi and, and Busquets. But is there a better midfield when you're talking club level? That's it's a good debate. Let's leave it for with, an, with another Casemiro, episode. With Casemiro, Modric, and Kroos? Um, of the show. Uh, speaking of Argentina, this seems to be not just, you know, uh, for me, it's pretty clearly their best performance of the tournament. Maybe some of that you put down to Croatia. Does momentum matter this late in a tournament? Does it, for you, is it something that carries over into a final? Uh, yes. Yeah? Yeah, it can carry over okay. into a final. I mean, you'd rather play well heading into a final sure. than limp through a final yeah. and have all these doubts, any kinds of doubts, whether it's injury, whether it's suspension, whether it's like morale, whether it's physical, whatever you want, you don't want those doubts. One of those lasting images in those final minutes was the Argent- were the Argentine players on the sideline, mm. on the bench, yes. singing with the rest of the stadium. 
the morale in this group right now is so strong. Yeah. And that goes a long way, especially with this culture, the Argentine culture. You've talked about the stadium, and we've talked a lot about Morocco's home field advantage. There are a lot of people from Argentina here, but we will keep pointing it out. There's a lot of people from India, Pakistan, other other places in, in Massive amount Asia of Messi fans. Who, this is a very convenient World Cup for them, and they are... Messi fans. They're not Argentina fans. They are no, they Messi, are Messi fans. fans. And I think yes. you heard that. It's the volume in the stadium elevated in the second half. And they were kind of, you know, giving Messi like like his moment. Uh, you talked about the images of the Argentina players on the bench. Let's dive in on that more. Does this give Argentina advantage against whoever they might play in the final? They didn't have to use Di Maria today. And at 3-0, 74th minute, Scaloni makes three subs that are clearly like, hey, let me get these guys a little bit more of a break. Uh, if I'm looking at it from an Argentina perspective, I think that's a little boost that you don't expect to have such a cakewalk in the semifinals that you can actually rest guys and in the case of Di Maria give him more time to deal with what is a muscular issue and he, we know just from having talked to uh, Morena Beltran in recent episodes and just having seen Di Maria he can be a huge factor for this team. This is Scaloni smart. It, you, you got out players like McAllister Paredes, you got out Julian Alvarez. Uh, you, you rested some players, you introduced some players, you didn't have to use some players. But this is a hell of a graphic. Um, I don't know where we're trying to go here. What do, what do we, what do we want to get, gain with this? That, that's one of the best players of all time right there. Look at that. Oh, they're just saying, all right, he's, he's one for for five in finals so far. Uh, little, but that, people that, will forget that if the last two were the wins that he won. Right? All right, stop. Stop for a second, though. There should be an asterisk with this graphic. I repeat, there should be an asterisk uh, with this on, graphic. On, on I'm going to hate on anybody who didn't help Messi win those titles. Uh, come on. The World Cup in 2014, the two Copa America titles. What else do you want Messi to do? Yep. He was a madman. Think about this. If he wins one of those, Okay, the World Cup final. Then one of those Copa Americas, there would be no discussion right now who the all-time greatest player in world football is. Uh -huh. All-time. There would be no discussion. Speaking of momentum, it seems like a month ago, it might have been close to a month ago now, Argentina actually lost their first game of this mm -hmm. tournament. If they do end up winning it all, they'll be just the second team to lose their opener and come back to win it. Spain in 2010. Like, how impressive is that? Because I think when we saw them lose to Saudi Arabia, it was like, and remember... The next game was Mexico, and we were talking about, hey, Mexico has a chance here to knock Argentina out. Obviously, that's not what happened. <laughs> but it is very, I think it, it's, it's a testament to ultimately what I think has gotten Argentina through this tournament, and that's character. No, I mean, there's, say, there's say technical quality. No, I'm not going to say Dilo como un argentino. No, no, no. I, I don't like to use this term. Eggs. Eggs. That's what it is. Coraje. Personalidad. Carácter. Okay. That's what it is. Yeah. But... Nervy times, my friends. They were nervy times. Mm -hmm. I mean, you lose to Saudi Arabia, and the majority of teams that lose their first game mm -hmm. not only don't win a World Cup, but right. don't make it out of the totally. group phase. Yeah. That's the reality of things. And here they are going in the game against Mexico, and you could feel it in their fan base. You could feel it with the pundits, our media colleagues, the tension yes. in the air. That game versus Mexico, the first 60 minutes, one of the worst spectacles of football we've yep. seen in this World Cup because of how tense the moment was. This is a team that every single game, Seb, from Saudi Arabia to Mexico to Poland mm -hmm. to the Netherlands has played progressively better every single game to their best game of date versus yeah. Croatia. I believe the stat is 89%. If you lose your, your first game, you are 89% of the time 
going home before the end of the group phase. Is it possible that that was kind of a wake-up call, that that actually made them better? Because we've also talked about other teams not being tested enough in the group phase and then falling short in the knockout rounds. I, I mean, it, put, it takes you – you're not gradually coming into the World Cup at that point. You are in do-or-die mode from game two Produce, on. Producer Beto, there are three teams that have lost the first game of a group phase and still gone to the final and not won it, correct? Yeah. Argentina, 90. Italy. And Germany. Ah, West Germany. West Germany. There we go. Um, honestly, it all depends who they're facing in the right. final. Totally. Because totally. if you're telling me, like, for some reason, it's Morocco. They do the impossible and beat France, the defending World Cup champions, and now are facing this Argentina with Messi. I don't think that's a role that the Argentines want. Mm -hmm. I don't think I think they want to be the underdogs in this role if you will. Yeah. In in this in this matchup in this fight. All the neutrals would be overwhelmingly with Morocco. You know? Here you think. Everywhere. I mean, think I don't about know, it. No, man. There's a lot of Messi fans here, man. No, we everywhere. Not here, everywhere. If Morocco makes it to the final, Man, I don't know one neutral that's going to say Argentina. One neutral. Think about it, because you're thinking Messi. I'm talking about neutral. Yeah, maybe. It'll be interesting. I would love to see. Maybe we'll get a ticket to that final, huh? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Good to go you Martin. have some connections there. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Got All right, so let's move on to the U.S. men's national team. Again, Argentina, congratulations to them. 3-0 winners over Croatia in the first of two semifinals. Of course, this, the U.S. story that just keeps on giving. Uh, everyone picking sides in the Greg Berhalter versus Gio Reyna controversy. Borussia Dortmund, Gio's club, making it clear who they back. Dortmund sporting director, Sebastian Kiel. Quote, the reporting on Gio Reyna surprised us a lot. We see him as a good guy who works professionally and is a valued member of the dressing room. The fact that this is now in question is incomprehensible for us at Dortmund and does not do Gio justice. Herc, Dortmund are backing Gio Reyna. What do you make of it? What do I make of it? Mm -hmm. What are they supposed to say? Nothing. They don't have to say anything. Okay. Let it grow. Let there be doubts about Gio. Well, I think by of course you come to their def to Gio's defense. One because he's your player, well, and two because he's your asset. Okay. What I did Dortmund do? Yeah, they back their asset. What, what do they do? They sell players. They sell players. Yeah. Okay, but 
to that end, like Gio has come out in his Instagram statement and said, almost like, hey, I didn't want to talk about this. I don't even want to put this statement yeah. out there. He did well. Okay. He did extremely well. Totally. But by doing this, there's look, we're talking about it again. This gives legs to it. Dortmund definitely oh, could have let it. Let me ask you a question. Could have let it be. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Would you rather Gio let it be? No, no, no. I think Gio, given what happened, had to address it and did well in the way he addressed it. But Dortmund could have just let sleeping dogs lie. No? No, you back your player. Okay, Dortmund you did this, well here. Does this send a as, message as to a, Gio? As a, as a staff, as a business, you did well here. As a staff, you did well because you backed your player. You're showing support for your player. Like, hey, this is a good kid. Yeah. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't know what problems you have over there, right. but he's a good kid. And as a organization who makes money off of selling players and right. good money, you're backing your product. You're saying, yeah. hey, there's nothing wrong with this product. Look, check under the hood. Everything's good here. Right. What's more damaging to his value? Reports of bad behavior or the fact that he didn't really get minutes at the World Cup for a team in the United States that is good but not overwhelmingly deeply talented and that's the ultimate showcase to boost your value. I, I don't know if his value went down either way. Cause but it didn't go up. And had he had a good World Cup, right. That's, right? that's true. It did not go up. But I wouldn't say his value would go down because he didn't do something with the U.S. Men's National in the World Cup. The best football isn't played in the World Cup. Right. But, but it's played in the Champions But League. we acknowledge that, like, think of James Rodriguez. No? Like, yeah. great World Cup. In Valencia, you get a move. massive sell. I understand this. Right. Yes. It can only help you. Certainly won't hurt you. Okay. Over club level. Right. And he's probably not ready for sale now anyway, right? He's still well, got another know. year. I think Dortmund's ready to sell at any moment with any player. It all depends on the price, right? But this is part of the reason why they came out in his defense. This is your asset. This is your product. You want to take care of it. You also want to take care of his well-being mentally and also the perception of your asset right. amongst what is the market. You know what we're going to find out? Because we've heard from people on the record, off the record, about the chip on the shoulder with Gio Reyna. Whenever we talk about him, that's kind of one of the default cliches that we hear. Watch out. Just the second half of this season at Dortmund, like, he could be a man on fire. Ooh, let's hope so. Yeah. Let's hope he responds on the field. Listen, yeah. Gio, Gio, I am fully convinced, is a generational talent. Yeah. Generational talent. But don't leave it at that. Yep. I mean, a lot of that comes down to health for him. I mean, that's, sure. that's been the one thing that's sure. held him back. Sure. Yeah. And now it's not health. Yeah. So take it into your own hands if you're on the field to make sure that this is an afterthought. Right. Okay, so uh, Gio Reyna definitely has a future with the national team. What about Tim Ream? Okay, why am I bringing up Tim Ream? Well, a few days ago now, Doug McIntyre of Fox Sports was reporting that the 35-year-old center back has no intention of retiring from international competition. Now, he'll be a few months shy of 37 in the summer of 2024. That, of course, the Copa America. He'd be 38 when the next World Cup kicks off in 2026. Herc, what do you think? Does Tim Ream still have a future with the U.S. men's national team? Sure, at some stage. Like 12 months ago, you didn't even think he had a future no, heading into this World Cup. No, but he proved everybody wrong. And when I mean sure at some stage is because Greg Berhalter comes in and you still had Michael Bradley at some stage. You still had Josie Altador at some stage. But the idea is to phase some of these players and, yes, Tim Ream out because you want the next crop coming in. Tim Ream did very well in this World Cup. And he's done very well since 
Fulham has been promoted back into yep. Premier League. He's back in the public eye. But the reality is, if there's a healthy Chris Richards and a healthy Miles Robinson, Tim Ream's probably not on this roster. That's a, that's a reality. Now, while Tim Ream was one of the best players for the U.S. men's national team, and I recognize that. Yep. Played every minute. Yeah. You want to build a core for the ultimate goal, which is 2026. He'll be 40 by then. Right. Is there a value to one? I know we've always talked about his age in the negative, but to having kind of that, that leadership. I don't think there was enough leadership this go around. There you go. And then beyond that, competition. Like, to your point about these other players, they're not yet starters in the Premier League. He's a left-footed center back. We know that those right. don't grow on trees. Whether it's Burhalter or the next coach, is there a value to just being like, hey, here's the standard. If you want this job, you got to beat this dude out. Absolutely. But you got to make it that way, where right. if they get beat out, they're out. And it can't be with, like, the Mexican national team, how, right. well, there are certain players performing, but you're not even calling them in, and you're leaving these sacred cows, if you will, in play. And they're in play, and they're in play, and they're in play. There's no moving them. You're only blocking the next generation. Listen, I already told you. People hated seeing Michael Bradley and Josie Alter back in with the U.S. Men's National yeah, Team. After Cuba. Whether it was Sarakin or whether it was with uh, Greg yeah. Berhalter. But, but they served the purpose. And so they were phased out, right? They yeah. served the purpose. So Tyler Adams, learning from briefly, whatever interaction he had with Michael Bradley, I'm sure he would tell you, it served a purpose. Okay. Okay? That's how it goes. That's normally how it goes. This was an accelerated project for the U.S. men's national team under Greg Berhalter with the ultimate goal of being 2026. Yep. So don't say the ultimate goal is 2026 and then say, but we got a 40-year-old who's playing in the championship. Okay, 2024, because this World Cup happens in the winter, is actually only 18 months away, that tournament. Right. What percentage you think... 2024 Copa America. What, yeah, what did I say? World Cup. Yes, of course. Copa America. Um... What percentage chances do you think he's still in the pool at that point? Ooh. That would all depend on Tim Ream, on what level he's at. Oh, so it doesn't depend on the other guys. Because what I was thinking is well, you were going to say just... it depends on, on... No, that like... depends on Tim Ream. Okay. Because Tim Ream, let's say his level drops... Then he's gone. No questions asked. You're, you're yeah. even the other younger guys that haven't proved themselves well, now, yet. Because if that's the case, that his level's dropped, you right. might as well go say, well, all right, I got to get these, these guys and get their level up. I got to make sure they're ready with experience and minutes leading up to what will be 2026. So that depends on Tim Ream. And I think that's the way people want it. Open right. market. Like, the best players should play. But if the ultimate goal was always 2026, yeah. having a, a player, albeit that was one of your better players in the right. World Cup, Going on 40, if not over 40, come yeah. that tournament. You know, listen, there's a place for him. I just don't know if if he's gunning for that 2026 or if people think that's realistic, if it's a good idea. Yeah, and the other point to be made there is there are no World Cup qualifiers. So you're, it's going right. to be tough to get, like, Chris Richards' real big games. That's, that's so, a good point. So Seb. 2024 is like, those are your qualifiers right. in some sense to really right. blood those guys at that position. I know you get bored talking about uh, defenders. I do. So let's talk about number nine. That, nine. That's, that's where your heart is. Uh, we know that. And right now, we got an American number nine who is dealing uh, in the championship. Daryl DK with a goal and an assist off the bench as West Brom came from behind to win 2-1 over Sunderland today. Her, you, you feeling like, what if here? What if? No, not yet. Not okay. yet. You, you got to get him healthy. This is a big yeah. one. You got to get him healthy. But I want you to get... Uh, you think if he'd have been healthy, he'd have a shot? Sure, if he's still okay. scoring goals, absolutely. Okay. He's the physical profile that Greg Berhalter was looking for. Right? In the fall. Look, look, look at this goal. This is what I'm looking. Look at this. 
that's Whoa. a confident Could have used that. Goal goalkeeper got caught out. He had no idea where he was at, but Daryl DK made him pay. Made him pay. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Argentina winners in the first semifinal, second semifinal tomorrow between France and Morocco. France at full strength, no suspensions for Didier Deschamps to deal with. France arriving to the semis via their quarterfinal win over England, 2-1. to one. And then, of course, that round of 16 thrashing of Poland game that ended 3-1. to one. Been quite a run for France under Deschamps. And now, they're looking to become the first team to win back-to-back -back World Cups since way back when Herc was playing. Well, not quite. Brazil, they did it back in 1958 and 1962. It's the team that has been better defended with a very good organization, rational, where they are located well, and that has allowed them, of course, des joueurs de qualité sur le plan offensif, un, de bien défendre, et puis de, de faire mal à tous les adversaires. Donc, euh, j'ai vu ça, j'ai regardé tout ça, et puis euh, mes observateurs qui ont vu les, tous les matchs du, du Maroc, euh, forcément, il y a des éléments à prendre en compte, et ça sera notre objectif, de leur créer des, des difficultés, et qu'on se crée des occasions, et de pouvoir marquer. Mes joueurs sont prévenus, Ça fait partie du contexte, c'est pas ça qui fait marquer des buts ou qui fait en prendre, mais le, le savoir avant, c'est toujours, toujours mieux, mais tant mieux, tant mieux pour eux, et pas, ils l'ont eu jusqu'à maintenant, et c'est pas là, euh, demain, en demi-finale face à nous, que ça va être inférieur, bien évidemment. Donc, euh, préparer en match, et aussi euh, se préparer à ce qu'il y aura sur le terrain, mais il y, y a un environnement, et all right, from Didier Deschamps talking about Morocco, we welcome in a Frenchman who's at least as popular, if not more popular, Julian Laurent. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Football Americas, my man. Great to have Thank you. you. Thank you for having me again. Uh, so let's start kind of with this preview focusing on the opposition, Morocco. Uh, one of the things that uh, Deschamps talking about there is the crowd. Like, how yeah. big a factor do you think that'll be tomorrow night? I think it'd be huge. It would feel like you play almost in Casablanca, that mm -hmm. they were hosting, Morocco were hosting this World Cup semi-final, which would be strange. I think the players are used to having big crowd and hostile, hostile crowds. 
this is different because they I've been at three of their games so far and they're so loud. What's it like? Like compare it to something. Like literally when when France will have the ball, certainly at the beginning, if it's still nil nil or if it's still tense and tight, and we'll be standing next to each other and you can hardly hear me and I can hardly hear you. Hmm. Like if we talk normally to each other, that's how loud it is. And if he spends it's even more, if if they're in the game it's even more, if they're leading it's even more. It's it's just crazy. They've got that energy for that whole ninety minutes. Jules, we've seen great Moroccan crowds. I've not seen a lot of French supporters here. What's nah, going on? Yeah, 4,000 they're expecting for tomorrow. That's it? Yeah. What's up with that? I don't know. It's a good question. I think there was uh, people who didn't want to come here. There was uh, like a mini boycott kind of thing. Uh, people have been watching heavily on television back okay. home uh, with great numbers, viewing figures, etc. But maybe the, the price, how costly it is to come over. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's strange. Maybe the fact that they didn't really believe in the national team at the start of the tournament and now it's a bit late to kind of take days off work, book everything. I don't know, but it's, it's strange, yeah. We'll get into why they didn't believe in the national team a little bit later on, but let's focus here on Morocco and specifically what they do on the field. They they really don't concede goals. The only goal they've conceded was an own goal against Canada. How does France expect to break them down? That's a good that's a good question. The plan, I think, and I think the French have something that neither Spain or Croatia or Portugal had, which is two wingers who, if you isolate them well one v one, will hurt them that defense. Because if you put if if you play the ball wide to Dembele against Masrawi, if he plays and Kylian against Hakimi, then I think they would go 1v1 and create something. There would be Giroud if there's a cross in the box. There would be Rabiot making those runs, Griezmann making the runs against Spain. The only moment really where they struggled a little bit is when Nico Williams came on. Mm. And Nico Williams took Masrawi 1v1 yeah. and at least there was something happening there. Otherwise, they shuffle so well. They're so compact, so narrow. There's no room in the middle of the pitch that you have to play well and go 1v1. What kind of game are you expecting? Because versus England, it felt like England took over. After, yeah. Fran after Chouameni scored that goal, it felt like England took over, had control of the ball. Mm. I don't really see Morocco having control of that ball. They, they like to concede possession yeah. and play off the counter. So what kind of game are you expecting tomorrow? Yeah, just that, having 65 70% of the ball maybe, and be patient and do that build-up that we mentioned, but just switch the ball quickly wide so then M M M Mbappe and Dembele can be 1v1 with their full-backs, maybe 2v1 two, two if, if our full-backs come and help, and then that's how you will create differences. If you try to play in the center, we saw Gavi and Pedri losing themselves. We saw Portugal struggling as well because they're so narrow and Amala, Amrabat and, and Unai for for Morocco just yeah. closed the space and the passing lane so well that I think for me the solution and the key here is to play wide quickly. What are you most worried about with Morocco? It's how frustrating they are for you if you're playing them. I don't know if you ever played against a team like that. I was that team. <laughs> <laughs> so you know even better. But when it's nil-nil and you can't find a way through, you can't break that deadlock, you, you're there, you're having a lot of the ball, but no success. I think it gets to you yeah. and it gets you frustrated and then maybe you lose focus, you get impatient, and then that's, how, that's what they benefit from. And then they can hit you on the counter, set piece, and then that's it, you won it down. Mm. So if we look at the Moroccan roster, I think of the 26 players, 14 born outside Morocco, a lot of those roots do trace back to France, including with the manager. Does that have an impact on tomorrow's game? I think there was a time in the past where when they were not doing well, a lot of people were saying, oh yeah, but look, they don't feel Moroccans mm. because they were born in France or in Canada for Bruno, for example, or in the Netherlands, in Belgium, in Italy, all around, but their they diaspora is huge. And, and I think that was maybe part of the problem at times. Regragi as a head coach has certainly united that squad more than anybody else in, in the history of the national team before. Mm -hmm. And I think this is why they play with so much heart. This is why they all fight for each other. So right now I look at it and say, okay, it doesn't matter. You know, you, 
you were born in France, you were born in, in Belgium, in the Netherlands, you can still play for the same country. It's your parents' country or your grandparents' right. country. You still can love that country as much as you love your country of birth. It doesn't matter. No, I, I'm curious uh, just how favorites the French feel in this game because every single game Morocco's had, pretty much from group phase, yeah. with the exception of Canada, They've not felt the favorites, or at least the neutrals have not. They've been a clear underdog. Yeah, correct. Right. Massive, so how favorites underdog. do the French feel right now? Big, massive favorite, and they don't like it. They <laughs> really don't like it. They'd much rather be the underdog slightly. The French, even. the World Cup champions, the defending World Cup champions, don't would, like would much rather be the underdogs. Yeah, they don't like it. They don't like the, um, I think maybe the pressure that goes with it. I, I don't think they like the fact that there's this risk that they can take the game for granted and for me this is this is also maybe another issue although it's a World Cup semi-final I don't believe they could take this game lightly but this is what we do look at Switzerland and the last Euros you 3-1 up with 10 minutes to go and you think this is it we are yeah. here and then you will know what happened next against Tunisia earlier even in the competition even with all the changes they thought they won the game before playing it even and I think this could that's why they don't like being favorite because I think they've got that tendency unfortunately to take things for granted when they are so favorite. All right, so you've written an article on ESPN.com about Antoine Griezmann and his kind of changing role within yep. the national team. Before we dive into that, let's hear what Didier Deschamps had to say about Griezmann's role with France. Voilà, c'est un joueur qui est qui a cette capacité à, à changer le visage de l'équipe de par ce qu'il fait parce que c'est quelqu'un qui a un gros volume de jeu qui amène sa touche technique évidemment dans un rôle un peu différent mais qui lui va très bien parce que pour lui je l'ai déjà dit il prend autant de plaisir à défendre, à faire un tacle que de faire une passe mais il n'est pas là bien évidemment son premier rôle c'est pas de récupérer des ballons mais à chaque fois avec sa patte gauche il a une capacité à à éclairer le, le jeu et puis avec un, un état d'esprit voilà c'est quelqu'un qui est qui a toujours pensé euh, collectif avant tout et qui a une générosité euh, au-dessus de la de la moyenne All right, so kind of break down what you wrote in the article and, and what you think of Griezmann's new role because it is certainly different like I just go back to the last game there's a moment he's desperately clearing the ball out of his own yeah. penalty area that's not usually what we think of when we think of, of Antoine Griezmann no that's right but I think it's one of the stories of this World Cup for me whether they go on and win it or not but for Deschamps to have reinvented him in that position in that number eight slash a bit six and a bit ten as well because it, when you think about it it was pretty obvious that it was actually something he could do and I'm even surprised that El Cholo Atleti hasn't even thought about it before and said okay why don't we try him because the work rate is there the intelligence clearly the ability technically that left foot is great and and he loves he loves making effort he loves running he loves he, lo he loves helping everybody else so in a way now it's easy to say with hindsight but it, that looks like a perfect position for him I'm curious of why we're seeing this change right now because we've seen an Antoine Griezmann at club level that's probably not been among the world's elite yeah. like he's showing right now. Why have we seen this change of position going into this World Cup? Injuries. It's as simple as that. Once, once, once Deschamps had lost Pogba and Conte and could not call up a Tolisso, for example, if he, if he wanted okay. to, then he thought, okay, I need to rebuild all this midfield, whether it's a two or a three. I've got Rabiot. Mm -hmm. I trust him. And Rabiot put up, probably would have been the third man with Conte and Pogba anyway. I've got Rabio. Chouameni isn't really ready yet. This is too early. His competition would have been 2024, 2026 maybe. But I've got no choice. So Rabio and Chouameni, and who could be the third one? 
And I think he looked hard, he thought hard about it. And then Griezmann, two years ago, one morning at breakfast, he said to Griezmann, you know, I was thinking about something. You could be a great number six. Hmm. And they kind of laughed it off and everything, but he stayed in Deshaun's mind. And now before this World Cup, he thought, let's try him at number eight and see what happens. And I think he said, it's a moment of genius. So at one point, Griezmann was kind of the star of this French team. Now it's undoubtedly Kylian Mbappé. Didn't have his best game against England. What has to happen for him to get kind of back to what we saw earlier in the tournament in the semifinal? Yeah, you're right about England. They, they, they marked him well. Uh, Walker did a great job on him, although you could look at the first goal. And we watched it with Shaka again yesterday before the FC show. And you see clearly four. I mean, there's a, there, if, if, if you take the steal, Kylian is on the left hand side, and there's four England players around him. Mm. And still managing, he managed to get out of that with Upamecano, little one two. Rice is too short. They move the ball. He comes back on Chouamini. And Chouamini's shot, Bellingham is half a second late because he'd been chasing Kylian for, for 35 seconds mm. earlier. And I think he had that kind of impact. He was very happy with that impact and nothing else, to be fair. But now he's different. He's the 1v1 with Akimi, his best friend. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know if you've ever played against your best friend, but he must feel weird to play against someone who... That's when, that's the, those are the so moments you Sorry, you say those best friend, like ones. really, they're really that close? Because like, we see it on social media, but I guess nah, you never know. They spend all the time in Paris together. Really? Like, literally, like literally all the time together. Oh. So they would know each other inside and out, normally from training and playing. But even more emotionally, they're so attached and connected that I don't know the first ball that Kylian is going to receive and, and Ashraf is going to come forward and I, I don't know if there could be a tackle I don't know because so Hakimi said he was going to hit it he's going to kick him yeah. that, that's what he said he's like, I'm going to kick this guy yeah, and it should be the, it should, that should be the way right but, the, but it's interesting because Seb you brought this up when uh, after the England France, France game excuse me uh, Hugo Lloris club yeah. teammate of Harry Kane yeah. and the tendencies and how well they know each other. So you really think that could play an impact here, how well they know each other? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't Does know. it give Akimi the advantage? I don't know who gets the advantage. Mm. That's the thing. And maybe it's not an advantage. Maybe it's 50-50. Or maybe the defender has a bit of an advantage because because he just defends and he doesn't have to try to invent anything and, and it might be easier for him because his guy is his right half centre back with him I'm not sure but it's going to be a great match of that one so we were talking at some point earlier in the tournament I don't remember if it was on camera or off camera and you mentioned you know the guys in the team pretty well ahead of the semi-final in 2018 when they were going to play Belgium you talked it was a really confident group yeah. what vibes are you getting from this group now? Yeah, similar one, I have to say. I don't want to jinx anything. and they right. might, No, but they could lose tomorrow. It's football. Yeah, it's football, exactly. Yeah. But no, they have that. We went from a lot of skepticism, especially when Benzema got injured. Mm -hmm. And I said uh, on Picante, I said, I don't think it's possible for them to win the World Cup now. No Pogba, no Conte, no Kimpembe, no Nkunku, no Lucas. Do you no still Benzema. feel that way? And now, no, now, maybe they can. Yeah. Maybe they can. But they went from that transformation of, okay, we've got more question marks and more questions than answers to maybe the best team left in this competition in terms of collective and individual talents. So I'm like, wow, okay, bring it on then. So I'm very curious. Uh, Giroud, a player that last World Cup wasn't a goal scorer. Yeah. And now he's got four goals, one behind Kylian Mbappe for the tournament lead. What has changed there? I think the position of Griezmann to start with, because if you think about 2018 again, Giroud was even more used as the target man for others, mm -hmm. for Kylian and for Griezmann, who was really playing as a second striker in that game because it was a 4-4-2 formation right. from the French. You had Matuidi on the left, Kylian on the right, Griezmann and Giroud, and then Pogba and Conte. Whereas now, Griezmann playing deeper, he, does, he doesn't have that presence there. 
Kylian playing more on the left and clearly still scoring a lot of goals, but providing more for Giroud too, like Dembele. Right. Giroud loves a winger. He loves balls you know, in the cross like we saw against England with that Griezmann amazing cross. So I think it's that, but I think sometimes, you know, you get chances, you don't take them in a tournament. And sometimes you do, and that's the difference as well. I'm not sure there's much more to think about. You mentioned Benzema. I saw a report online that's kind of from Marca, I think, that are claiming, like, he's healthy, he's back to fitness now. Yeah, is, is. is that true? Are people in France like... You know, he started training again with Real Madrid, I think... Uh, should he yesterday. be here? You can't bring him back. No, obviously you can't bring him back, but should they have let him go in the first place? Is that a mistake now? But he's fit now after three weeks, though. So, well, you would have kept him and waited. He was not replaced. So, by the way, if France win the World Cup, Technically, Karim Benzema will be a World Cup winner because he's still in. Okay. He's still in the squads. Right. Because he hasn't been replaced, so his name is still in on the on the team sheets on everything that the squad. Are does. people making a big deal about that in France? Not really, because you can't. You can't. Like, they they would have kept him, and he wouldn't have played for three weeks. I don't think that was. I don't. But think Deschamps has already said there's no chance he's coming exactly, back. Exactly. Yeah, and I don't okay. think Karim wants to come back. He went on holidays with his kids, came back, and now he's getting ready for the start of La Liga. On ESPN, by the way, and, and nice. That's, Look nice. at that company, man. Corporate jewels, uh, and you know, and that's it. I think it's very difficult to bring someone back after two or that's three. That's what it is. He's starting off from from base, like right now. He, he's yeah. back at zero, right. trying yeah, to build himself exactly. back up. Yeah. Exactly. Um, just one last thing for me. Uh, you talked about the likelihood that tomorrow France will have a bulk of possession. Mm. How comfortable is this French team doing that? Because if I think of France, and maybe I'm oversimplifying, it's a team that really does its most damage when the other team has possession and they yeah. can hit you on that lightning quick counter. Yeah, the DNN, we go back to being favorite or not. When you're not favorite, usually you can, you're can. you happy to leave the mm -hmm. ball to the opposition. They know that tomorrow they will have a lot of the ball. But it's also a very talented squad. Rabiot can play, Chouameni can play, Griezmann and Dembele and Kylian can play, Giroud can, can be the target guy, can hold the ball up. So they should not have any problems to keep the ball and move the ball well against, against this Moroccan side, who is a very good team and defends really well. But Technically, they are still very good players. Last one from my part. Can you think of a moment uh, from France in this cycle where it's just been fight, it's just been grit, it's just been heart, and they've gotten out a result? Because that's pretty much what you, Morocco, I mean, without demands of you. Demands yeah, of you, right. thank you, yes. I think the England game in a way, but I think for me the key was always going to be that second goal against Denmark. You draw 1-1 against Denmark. Even mm. if you've won against Australia, there's still a lot, there's still a lot at stake for the last game against Tunisia. You can't rotate like you want. Maybe you can't rest any player. And for Kylian to score that second goal in the 89th or whatever it right. was on that Griezmann cross changed a lot of things because they, they, they had to dig deep to get that win. It was not, they, they were very good in the game, but they were still 1-1 with a few minutes to go. So I think for me that, that key moment is, might be that second goal against Denmark. All right, we look forward to the uh, semi-final. France against Morocco. Jules, always great to have Thank you here you so much, on Football Americas. What are the computers and odds makers saying? Well, there you see it. Uh, Herc, who you got in this one? Wow! 450 minus 450? <laughs> Big uh, favorites, France. I'll take Morocco. Okay! That's uh, a good odds. To advance or to win in 90? To advance. Okay. All Just because right. I want to see, I want to root for chaos. Ah, come on. And, and honestly, let's give, on Jules. let's give them their due. One goal against, they've been outstanding defensively. I picked against them every single go around, so they go with them now. All right, Canada scored on Morocco. Let's see if France can do so as well.
Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Mikel Arriola, who of course is the president of Liga Mekis, some interesting comments. Quote, the results we've seen recently is that countries that have the most players in Europe are the ones that are most likely to win at the World Cup. So we are going to be absolutely focused on increasing the exportation of players. This is about being able to export quickly. And in two years from now, double or triple the exportation so that there is a bigger pool to choose from. You buying this, Herc, or are we telling Mikel Arriola to get lost? I love it. I am buying the wish to export more. Ah. I am telling Mikel Arriola to get lost. Why? When it comes to how easy he thinks it's going to be. Okay. Let me give you a few reasons why. One of the reasons would be the Mexican ownerships, the clubs. Okay. But doesn't he represent them as the head of Liga Mekis? He's not going to force them to sell. Okay, but he's not speaking out of turn here. He's not going to speak against his bosses. So one would be the Mexican clubs, Mm -hmm. okay? They've got to leave a secondary market that they have, an internal market, an inflated market, if you will. They've got to say, we don't want more money. One. Two, the avenues for their European adventure. Let me clarify. I'll use the U.S. men's national team player pool as an example, okay? The U.S. men's national team eligible player as an example. American players have the benefit of the few, a few things, if you will. One, the league wants to export, if you, if you want to say it's Major League Soccer domestic. Two, even their second division, yes. USL exports. Now getting into that world, okay. yep. Three, a lot of these players have dual passports, mm. so don't count as foreign players. Right. You got okay. a parent or a grandparent, especially with an EU passport. That makes a huge difference in not when the, you can go. Not the case for a lot of Mexican players. Right. Majority Mexican players, actually. Four, even if it's not through this club soccer, if you will, through MLS or USL, sometimes they go from universities. Five, there are clubs like Barcelona with actual setups and academies here within the States. And we've seen players like Matthew Hoppy go to Europe through that route. Six, within Major League Soccer, you have a few organizations like Citigroup like Red Bull, and we've seen those avenues of getting out. There's just so many different avenues for the domestic player in the States to get out that the Mexican player is handcuffed and doesn't have. Literally, they are at the beck and call, at the mercy, if you will, of Liga MX, not even Mexican football. You don't see Liga Expansión sending players to Europe. Right. You see very rare. The teams in that rarely, league are struggling for survival as, a, Liga as an Mekis organization, as a business. Teams doing business with European setups for Mexican players. And if and when they do, it's a Rodolfo Pizarro who's 26 years old and we're asking for about $20 million so he right. can go to Spain. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's also like down to the players, right? We heard some comments from Jurgen Dam just in the last week that like, hey, when the actual offers come from Europe, the amount I'm going to make over there compared to what I'm making in Mexico is not all that much. You know what struck me about these comments is just how different 
they feel like what we heard from Don Garber and the Major League Soccer side of things. Not now, because now MLS very much a selling league. Right. But when Jurgen Klinsmann was saying, i got to get more guys over to Europe, I need more guys over to Europe, the response was very much no. Uh, and now, clearly, you see Liga Mekis, having seen the problems for the national team, is kind of saying, It's one okay. thing to say it. It's another thing to be about it. Totally. Totally. Um, all right, so... Going down this path, we have an interesting report out of Spain uh, as far as Cesar Montes is concerned. One of the few highlights for Mexico uh, at this World Cup. A radio station in Spain reporting that Rayados are complicating a potential move for Montes to Spanish club Espanol. Monterrey reportedly getting lots of interest in Montes and want to maximize a potential sale. Herc. I mean, we just kind of had this conversation. Are you cool with what Rayados are doing here? Si, pero no. Okay. Why si and why pero no? L let me tell you the why si. Um, first off, let's put some context to this. Okay. Cesar Montes signed a contract a year ago. Right. A new contract. Multi-year contract. Knowing that he could be potentially a free agent leading up to the World Cup, he decided not to do that. He took more money from Rayados, like you were talking about Jurgen Dam. Yeah. He took more money from Rayados with the idea, or the promise, if you will, that Rayados would facilitate his move when and make it easy came. for when him the when the moment came, came right. to go to Europe. The moment is here. They did not do that. So now Rayados isn't letting him go to Europe, isn't letting him go to Spain, because in this offer mm -hmm. that they've made, it's a loan with the intention to purchase for a significant amount. No dollar amount. Right. They didn't put a dollar amount on there. They're saying it's going to be a symbolic amount. So now what the Spanish club is asking Rayados to do is pretty much what Rayados asked Cesar Montes to do. Right. Trust them. Yeah. Why would they trust him in business? Well, just to kind of like, we've been itching to get to the Cesar Montes Espanol links for a while here on this show. They were at the very beginning yeah. of the World Cup. The report states that after the World Cup performance, oh, I think... Oh, Cesar Montes and his people have already agreed to terms with, with, with Espanol. That's not the issue here. Right. What I'm saying is now Rayado sees that there's more interest and they want to maximize the sale. You can understand that just kind of from a black and white from the club perspective. Sure. To that Maybe. end, though, oh, just, just, to, just to go back to the Liga MX uh, comments, uh, comments from Miguel Arriola. If there's a club that's guilty of this, or that's the prop, like one of them, but but is there is there one that's more than Rayados? Because you think of like Pachuca will sell. Okay, but I think for me Rayados is is like the the best example of sure. And they were the base of the Mexican national team. Right. They had more players from Monterrey, Rayados Monterrey, on the Mexican national team than any other club. So you say they're the base of the Mexican national team. I agree with what you're saying. But this is why when you asked me about Miquel Arriola, and I said, well, you got to get the clubs to sell. You're like, wait, wait, wait a second. He represents the clubs. Well, here you go. Exhibit A. Yeah, he's got to get all the clubs, and really he's got the biggest clubs uh, to convince, and that's going to be the most difficult thing. All right, time for a parting shot here on this edition of Football Americas, and we're talking about American ownership in the Premier League. Um, all right. Michael B. Jordan Creed, has become baby. a part owner of Bournemouth. Herc, what do you make of it? pretty cool what do i make of it yeah. when many think that football isn't profitable people see opportunity um and it's sad that we don't have more of this type of ownership or interest in ownerships yeah. in the states and there's a reason for it
What's that? Pro Rel. Right. Although, you know what's interesting about this is that he's buying in at the highest level on a team that could very well end up in the championship. It's Perfect. a big risk in it's that. A, it's in a that. massive risk. Yeah. But it's not a situation where it's an all-boys club, club, if you right, will. Right. And You're not buying into MLS. You can't get a little slice of the $300 exactly. million. Dollars. There right. it is. Yeah. You'd love it if he was uh, investing in Union Omaha instead of uh, Bournemouth. How about that? Or well, the that's lights. A that's a or random the Las comparison. Vegas lights. Uh, all right. That'll do it for us here on Football Americas for Hercules Gomez, producer Beto, our teams from Los Angeles to Bristol and everywhere in between. Great to have you with us. Where are my Argentinos at? back tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern Time live on ESPN+. And we'll see you off with these images of celebrations from Argentina fans worldwide. Argentina through to the final. Will it be against France or Morocco? We'll find out tomorrow right here on Football Americas. We'll see you then.